and kind of a hot take from from old Ren here. This is the first one I've actually liked. This one looks good. He also wants one with a grumpy face. Hello, and welcome back to the Auto Week Podcast, a place for getting all your car news, your car drives, and your racing news. Your one-stop shop for everything car. Ooh, thank you. Uh, first and foremost for leaving those five stars if you can keep doing that on uh, apple itunes keep giving us those five star reviews i appreciate it but for those that already have thank you so much uh so little changes a little housekeeping today uh we're skipping breaks down to bring even more news and that means one thing and one thing only mr wes reynolds in the room wes how's it going good morning everybody and robin warner's joining us today at the top of the show robin how you doing buddy I'm doing well. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, everybody. You don't know what time it is, Wes. All right. Always with the math, you. Honestly, they can be listening to it whenever they want, because this is the podcast. This lives eternally. Math is great. Math is fundamental. I learned that in English class. Uh, but today we're talking uh, talking a little Porsche, talking a little Maserati, and we're talking a little racing. But let's get the Porsche and the Maserati out f- of the way first. Robin. Out of the way. The po- yeah, because this is the front of the show. Then we're going to get the racing. It's a good thing. Yes, yes. Uh, Robin, what the heck's happening with the Porsche? Well, you know what you can get out of the way in the latest Porsche? The roof. Huh? Segway. Uh, I love it. The Porsche just revealed a few days ago the Porsche 911 Targa 4 and Targa 4S, which are the, it's not a moonroof. It's not a convertible. It is a fixed rear windshield, removable roof. And all that happens electronically. Uh, push of a button. Uh, 19 seconds later, the roof disappears into the netherworld. And you have an open-top Porsche. It is, uh, based on the name, you can tell, Targa 4, Targa 4S. These are all-wheel drive Porsches. Um, the standard Targa 4 is the 379-horsepower, 3-liter uh, uh, twin-turbocharged flat-six. And the Targa 4S is the 443 horsepower, 3 liter twin turbocharged flat six. And uh, the S you can get with an eight speed dual clutch transmission, Porsche calls PDK, or a seven speed manual transmission. The standard four is at this point so far anyway, eight speed PDK only. But, uh, and it's got a, it's more of like, it leans luxury, uh, the Targa's. As uh, as you would think, they're not super racy. They're not super lightweight. You know, the options on it are things like front axle lift system, stuff like that. But, you know, it's uh, it's going to be plenty quick all the same. And the Porsche 4 starts at like 121. And the the Targa 4S is like 135. So 1,000. I should, I should make sure the 1,000 is in there. Totally reasonable. The Targa has obviously been a part of the 911 lineup since 65. And kind of a hot take from, from old Ren here. This is the first one I've actually liked. This one looks good. Yeah, you know, it's, it, you know, I think because of the 991 grew so much in size that uh, the Targa shape, it's a little easier to fit everything in there. And the 992 generation now, they've just been able to make everything feel a little bit more cohesive. I mean, they basically plucked the 991 Targa kit and threw it on the 992, but I think it, it works and flows a little bit better on the 992 generation. Well, I love it. Um, Mr. Randall, what do you think about the, the latest Targa? Is there going to be a uh, rear drive version coming? 
Uh, I don't think so. I think the targas are going to remain four or four S. How much? Do, how much does all the uh, like the top assembly and all the uh, goofy electronics to raise and lower it in nineteen seconds? What do all those goodies weigh? Yeah, I didn't. I don't have specifics on that, but I. I mean, just generally speaking, I mean, this is going to be pretty, pretty much a cabriolet in in terms of weight, not a coupe, right? And right. Uh, because it's got the same mechanics, it's going to need a little bit of extra structure because the roof isn't fixed. It's going to need, um, it's going to need just as you said, the motors and the mechanism to get that stuff up. That's more weight, and it's more weight up top. Um, but I mean, that company cabriolet. doesn't have any issues with its convertibles or targets as far as structure. Yeah. Plenty strong. Plenty strong. Uh, so to answer your question, Mr. Wren, I think it is a very nice looking car. I've always liked Targas. I even I almost in my crazy youth, I almost bought a nine twelve Targa. And also you guys should know that I have a friend who lives a few blocks away from me who graduated from high school the same year I did, which was I'm not gonna tell the tell you the year, but he bought new when we got out of high school, he had saved and saved and saved. He always wanted this. He bought a new 911, new at the time. He still has that car. He's driven that car every day since we graduated from high school. And he drives it spring, summer, winter, fall. He just maintains the heck out of it. And he puts all season tires on it in the winter. And it's like a snowmobile. And he just loves that little car. And every time I see it, I smile because I know what it's been through and how long he's had it. So there's a little sidebar. So that's a fun little anecdote, that one. That is a, a fun little anecdote. And I, let me let me be clear. There's nothing bad about the Targas. That's, this is like a, of the Porsche 911 body styles, it was my least favorite. Uh, the, tar- oh, the Targas still do look cool, just not as cool yeah. as the Coupe traditionally. And this one looks... And, uh, I, re- I really like the way this one looks. Yeah, yeah and you got to admit, would... the ones with the, with the, the uh, plastic back windows were cool. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's got distinctive looks. and But, you know, what we're seeing here is Porsche is filling out its 992 generation profile. So yes. you, you now have the standard Carreras, you have the, the S's, you have the Turbo S's, um, and now you have Coupe, Cabriolet, and Targa. So we're starting to fill out. We're still, there's still more to come. There's still GTS. There's still non-S turbos. There's still GT3 variants. Oh, GT3, GT2, GT whatever. Yeah, but this is GT1, perhaps. Can we see that was, one come back? Uh, that we you know, I'll talk to some people. <laughs> we'll see what happens there. But you know, we're but this is this is starting to get to be a pretty solid lineup of the 992 generation Porsches. But yeah, you know, there's more to come. Speaking of more to come, Mr. Raynal, I hear there's something from Maserati coming out and it's not the new Quattroporte or the new uh, Ghibli or what the new we, Levante. What were we saying earlier off the air? Maserati has been on the brink of disaster since the day it was formed 100 years ago or whatever it was, 90 years ago, 80 years ago. Ah, uh, Yes, anyway, I digress. <laughs> Maserati is working on a car, a concept car in honor of the great Sterling Moss, which will be very cool. Uh, it's called the MC20. So, so Moss drove a car back in the late 50s, a Maserati called the Eldorado, ironically. And uh, so this concept is, is sort of designed to harken back to that a little bit. It's called the MC20. Uh, Moss drove Elder, the El Dorado back in the late 50s. Uh, 
and he won. It was shown uh, May 13th on the anniversary of Moss winning Monaco in 56. So that was on May 13th, 1956. So they showed it on the 13th. He drove a 250F that day. And uh, a little, another little cute little tidbit is uh, the other Maserati driver in that race, Jean Barra, uh, where Auto Week got, that's where we got our helmet design from Barra's helmet. He finished third that day. So anyway, the MC20 is a mid-engine concept car. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be beautiful. We've only seen it with the, uh, not cladding exactly, but it's a little bit disguised. Um, but it's going to be, I'm sure it'll be gorgeous. I, I really don't remember a Maserati that isn't pretty stunning or at least unique. So it's coming out not this year, I think early next year. They haven't, and, and with COVID, who knows? So, uh, and I don't know how many, they haven't really announced how many they're, they're, they're going to build. But it's uh, it's pretty cool. I think they want to go back racing with it, which is another big part of the appeal, sort of. That hasn't, Maserati hasn't been on a track in anger for 20, 20 years. So this will be interesting with, you know, with a factory sports car team. So we'll see. Well, we will see. And, you know, Maserati, part of the great FCA uh, conglomerate, maybe uh, some of this can trickle down to, to Dodge and uh, maybe all this work could produce a new Viper. Who knows? I would not be surprised in the least if there was some kind of Viper skunk works floating around out there. I think that about wraps up the news section. Uh, Mr. Randall, that was fantastic. Looking forward to that new Maserati. And Robin... I'm all revved up to see the new Targa in person. If I ever get the chance to see one in person sometime when I leave my uh, my pod dungeon, my pod bunker, uh, if that time ever comes. But until then, uh, I think we're going to transition to Matt Weaver, who was in person at the Xfinity race. Uh, we're going to talk to him about what it's like to go to a race during a global pandemic. And we are out of in the intermission. We're, we're, we're shot past the intermission. We are ready to rock and roll and talk about some video game racing, right? Oh, wait. No. Wait a minute. We're actually racing again. We are back on the track, and Mr. Matt Weaver was there, and we're also joined by Mr. Mike Price. And Matt, how was racing? It's good to get back to uh, some semblance of normal, and, and certainly it was a privilege and a, a honor to be selected to be part of a very small group to be able to cover the first handful of races here in Darlington, South Carolina. Um, I attended the what turned out to be the, the Wednesday Cup race and the Thursday Xfinity race. We had a rain delay on Tuesday. But to be able to be to be part of the group that got here early and told the story of what racing looks like and feels like with an empty arena and just actual real sports, not eye racing. Um, it's not something that I take for granted, and um, I'm glad that I get to be able to sit here with you guys and talk about it. No, you definitely did something special that 30 or 40 years down the road, you can look back at and say, man, that was wild. But for those that didn't have that opportunity, what did you experience today? Well, you know, the, the one thing that sticks out to me is this was not the the authentic return to racing experience. It would be a better question for the reporters who attended on Sunday because they had more of a, a normal race day. We had a lot of rain. And my, my main takeaway was is when people talk about that's like watching paint dry, I now fully understand what that means because you had to get here early on Tuesday. 
go through the medical screening process. It rained for the entirety of Tuesday. We get to the track early on Wednesday, and it's still raining. Fortunately, they were able to push through and get a race in on Wednesday night. We get back on Thursday. You get in early. You go through the screening process, and it's still raining. Unfortunately, we got to race through on Thursday. But I have seen this track get rained on, get air tightened, dried, get rained on, go through the air tightened, get rained on again. It is just like watching paint dry. I now know what that means. Hey, Matt, Mike here. Uh, tell us a little bit about that screening process, and did you feel pretty comfortable and confident that uh, not only you passed, but everybody around you? I do, and I, I think I talked to you guys about the World of Outlaws experience in, in Knoxville. Uh, NASCAR and the World Racing Group, they, they pretty much worked on their plans together. Uh, there was a lot of coordination. Um, Steve O'Donnell from NASCAR and Ben Geisler, the World Racing Group, a lot of coordination. So to me, the, the process and the screening that I went through on uh, last Friday in, in Knoxville, Iowa, was, was very similar to what we had here in, in Darlington, South Carolina, down to the temperature check, the procedures, the policies that were in place. Um, I feel good about it. And I think that, um, you know, the main takeaway here is we're not going to know till another week or two uh, if there are a bunch of outbreaks or a rash of cases that are traced back to Darlington or Charlotte, well, then it's all for nothing. It's, you know, and that doesn't even mean that it was a bad plan, but this thing is so circumstantial. But for anyone who says, well, did it work? I don't know. But do I feel good? Do I feel confident? Absolutely. I know that both NASCAR and the World of Outlaws, whose races I've attended, are working with local and federal officials, working with some of the best medical people in their states and regions. And this was not done lightly. The moment that racing shut down March 14th, they all went to work. So this was not a, a knee-jerk kind of process. Everyone worked diligently. And overall, yeah, I do, I do feel really good about where they landed, what I saw at Knoxville, and now what I saw at Darlington. But, Matt, this was probably the most unusual well, – not probably. It was the most unusual race uh, weekend you're ever going to be a part of in that you can't go out and get the literally the temperature of the room. I mean, you weren't, you weren't allowed to mill around and talk to the crew guys and talk to the guys in the garages and see what they thought. and how, you know, Were they all comfortable being out there? Or, you know, did they have a wife at home saying, geez, I don't know if you should be out there? Uh, so that had to be kind of weird because you're, you're trying to kind of read everybody's mind and uh, body language out there. Yeah, you know, yes and no. So fortunately, I've been doing this long enough that I, I have my contacts. I have people that I can call. And Matt, you're not an old guy. Don't, 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 don't pull the old guy card on us, you know? I know, I know. But, <laughs> you know. So I can't go walk up to someone in the infield, but there's certainly people that I can text and people that I can call. I mean, here's a great example, and this kind of goes back to your last question, too about policy and procedure. Think about it for a minute. When it's raining at the racetrack, you've got a bunch of drivers, crew members, engineers, um, all, all around the infield and facility, and it's raining. What do all the crew members do? They chit-chat and stand around. Well, they, they stand around inside the hauler, and this is a very yeah. small, confined space. You can't do that. Right now, with this whole uh, situation we find ourselves in, they don't want a 16-person a, a crew huddled into one or two haulers. That, it, that would be a disaster. NASCAR thought that through. They already had a plan in place before they knew it was going to rain in Darlington. The plan was you could have X number of people in the hauler, one in the 
the the room the room in the, the back of the hauler uh you could have one person inside the the race transporter itself but they had designated areas across the facility that they could spread people out in and if you had a personal car that was nearby they urged everyone to go to their personal cars so a bunch of the drivers that i texted on tuesday in the xfinity series these guys don't have uh the expensive ha- or the, the expensive coaches and motorhomes the Cup guys have. They just went back to their car. Uh, Noah Gregson, the Xfinity Series driver, he had an Xbox in his car with a monitor. So he was, he was playing. He's playing Xbox in the back seat of his car. So, Do you know what he was playing? Uh, I asked him actually, <laughs> and he, he listed several. So now I can't remember okay. because he listed four or five. Uh, Madden was one of them, um, but I, I can't remember the others off the top of my head. But my point, my point is, is that NASCAR had a very thorough plan here for even a rain delay where guys wouldn't go huddle up in the hauler. And I think that's a testament to um, the diligence that everyone put into this process. You had about a three-hour rain day, delay today. Uh, today being uh, Wednesday as we're uh, taping, the, or Thursday as we're Today's taping Thursday. this thing. So, so that means that the, you have a lot of Xfinity guys that are probably just sitting in their cars chopping at the bit to get out there. Well, for the Xfinity guys, it was extra worse because they were supposed to run on Tuesday. And remember, this is a single-day show. The entire point of this model is guys wake up in their bed, go race, go home, sleep in their own bed. No hotels, no extra exposure. It's all part of the plan. So when it rained throughout Tuesday and they finally had to um, you know, to call it, they had to send everyone back home to Charlotte. So that's an hour and a half, two hour drive, depending on which part of town you live in. And, you know, fortunately the cup race was the next day. So not all those guys had to come back, but then you come back on Thursday and it's raining again. And you're just sitting in your car. You're, you're adhering to the plan of spacing everyone out. You can't interact with your crew guys. You're doing this again. And the forecast looked bad. The forecast looked really bad until uh, 637 on thursday but it cleared up it was raining in nearby florence it was raining in nearby dillon it didn't rain here so you know fortunately everyone got the whole thing through but there was just a lot of sitting around a lot a lot of anxiety a lot of just frustration kyle bush ran both races kyle bush was here on tuesday he sat around had to go back home kyle bush came back on wednesday had to go back home came back on thursday race went back home so it's not very convenient. Um, we all do it because we love it. No one's complaining, certainly. But there are just these procedures that are in place because it's the safest way to do it. Well, now you've got to. Now you're heading back to Charlotte. Uh, the formula, I assume, is going to be pretty much the same. Uh, and I guess, uh, did they learn anything? I mean, did you hear any rumblings about, hey, we're going to try this a little differently next uh, next time next time out, or are we seeing what we're going to see for a little while? I, I think that. Darlington and Charlotte are going to be pretty similar, mostly because they believe some of the the guidelines that the other states are going to require might be just a little bit different. States are loosening the restrictions. Um, you know, the next couple of races are going to be Bristol, Tennessee, um, Martinsville, Virginia, uh, Atlanta, Georgia. So every state has different protocols. So that could change the way the NASCAR decides to tackle it once they get past. Uh, Charlotte next week. When they get past Charlotte, Matt, I mean, what are they going to do? I mean, they can't sleep in their own beds. Uh, are are they booking hotels? Are they telling everybody to sleep in their cars? I mean, what are they going to do on those trips? Well, keep in mind, Bristol and Martinsville are both 
you know, the same distance as here at Darlington. I mean, to go to Bristol, that's a two and a half hour drive. So it's a very similar dynamic as Darlington, Martinsville, depending on where you live in town, that's an hour and a half to two hours. So we're locked in for a while. Uh, Atlanta, that's a one day show. That's three and a half to four hours. So we have a buffer here. We have about two to two and a half weeks worth of racing where we can maintain this similar um, procedure. But yeah, then you've got Talladega, which is six hours away from Charlotte. You've got Homestead, Miami, which is 12 hours. Oh, yeah, that's that's, that's the long yeah. one. So we're, we're, we're waiting to see what the world looks like because that's two, three weeks away. Uh, again, states are loosening up restrictions. We're learning more about the virus too. So the short version is, I don't know. Sure. We don't know anything because the whole world is changing pretty much every day. And the whole world, at least the racing world, is watching. Uh, they got the microscope on this one because uh, you guys uh, in the NASCAR side are kind of setting the model. What I'm sure uh, you know, IndyCar is looking at, and uh, IMSA, and, uh, and everybody's looking at uh, NHRA. Everybody's looking at what's going on with NASCAR to say, "Hey, if this thing works, then that makes them a little bit more susceptible to opening the door and trying it. If there's any hiccup at all, it could shut this whole thing down again." So, a lot of eyes on NASCAR this next couple of weeks. Outside of motorsports, too, I mean, keep in mind that the UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championship, actually started doing sports sooner than NASCAR, and they actually had a fighter, Dr. Ray Souza, test positive, and, you know, they've isolated him. The show went on, and so there, there is a, um, a precedence in place in sports for what do you do if you have a, a participant, a competitor, test positive. So the whole world is looking at NASCAR. They're looking at the UFC. They're looking at pro bull riding. Uh, other sports are starting up here in the next week or so. But yeah, NASCAR is the the test dummy, and a lot of sports heads said over the past week that they are monitoring and they're going to learn from NASCAR. And NASCAR is more than willing to share what they learned as well. Yeah, you mentioned the UFC. Uh, we almost had a UFC moment uh, last night between uh, Chase Elliott and Kyle Busch. I'll tell you what, if it wasn't for um, the physical distancing. Yeah, no, yeah there's, no, there's a law or a rule now. You can't fight, right? Is that That's what's going on? Well, not only can you you're not fight, you can't, get, you can't get close together. So <laughs> I, I'll tell you this. If it, wasn't for, if it wasn't for the physical distancing restriction, that, that would be a whooped ass. I'm just telling you, as a, as, as, a, as a short track guy, I come from a short track family. I'm a third generation racer myself. And we got an expression in my family. If I would have got dumped that way, that would be a whooped ass. So, listen, I'll say this. Kyle Busch, there was nothing malicious about it. Um, with this rules package, you can't afford to be on the bottom. Uh, he was going to set himself up for being passed by Kevin Harvick behind. You had rain on the way. Um, you could not afford to give up that extra spot. Uh, Kyle Busch had a spot between um, Chase Elliott in front of him and Kevin Harvick behind him. He tried to thread the needle, and it just didn't work out he caught chase elliott's fender turned him around into the wall and uh you know kyle comes back around the front stretch and uh, chase tells him he's number one well and the thing was that 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 moved uh, chase elliott from second and having one of the best runs of his career honestly and uh finishes like 38th so it, that, that was a tough night that was that was a tough night for him yeah, you know, again, the crazy thing, the, the, the physical distancing protocols, all that stuff. <laughs> the number nine pit crew and crew chief, Alan Gustafson, they all marched and it, it looked like a, you know, 
a legion of, of, of Napa clad soldiers <laughs> marching towards the number 18 pit area and towards the car. And NASCAR security was actually dispatched to break them up just on the basis of you can't be this close together. You can't That's be right. this close to yourselves. You can't be this close to the number 18 team. Uh, yeah, that, that's great, man. The security team, go out there and break up that fight, but stay six feet away from them while you're doing it. That's just great. Right. Again, it's a tenuous situation. But some backstory here. Again, Kyle Busch, not malicious. I know that he's got a reputation. Um, that's the most contrite I've ever seen Kyle Busch, and that should go to speak volumes over how much that was not intentional. Kyle Busch has raced Chase Elliott since they were doing late models together when, when Chase was 12 years old, I've covered a lot of those races. Kyle Busch and Chase Elliott have never had a problem in the 10 years that I've covered both of them. Um, when Kyle Busch first started running the Cup Series with Hendrick Motorsports, the number five car, Alan Gustafson was his crew chief. So when Kyle Busch says he has a lot of friends over there at the number nine team, that's not talking out of both sides. He actually means it. He actually has worked with a lot of those guys that's kind of the remnants of the old number five car that he drove for in 2005 to 2007. So listen, it's, it's racing. It's Darlington. This package encourages those sort of decisions and it's not always pretty. And, you know, they've talked about it. They're on the same page. Kyle Bush said on Thursday, they had a phone call. Chase Elliott was super classy about it. This ain't going to be a thing moving forward. It's Darlington. They call it the track that's too tough to tame for a reason. And Chase and Kyle couldn't tame it. Well, Matt, I like I love to have you break down a little bit of, of the action and and who won because you saw some great racing this week. Um, but I'll tell you what, as a fan watching this thing at home, uh, again the the media access was so limited for you guys, there was no reason for a lot of us to even try to go to these races. Um, I didn't miss the fans not being there. I mean, it was it was great racing the way the 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 you know the thing was broadcast. You didn't even really notice there was no fans there except at the end. I mean, we missed the, you know, when you're doing uh, uh, donuts in front of nobody, uh, you know, looking to bow in front of a crowd that wasn't there. I mean, it was a little bit awkward, uh, you know, both the celebrations, I guess, with, uh, uh, you know, Harvick the other night and uh, Hamlin. Uh, it was a that was a little bit weird. Um, but the racing, I thought, was great. And, uh, you know, anybody that wasn't sure about checking in, uh, I think they, you know, fell into a nice treat. Yeah, that's exactly it. I think that NASCAR and, and motorsports in general – there's a lot of things that they can do to replicate, you know, what life was like before mid-March. Um, when, you, when you're watching the, the races on television, tight camera shots, you don't see the fans. Outside of Talladega, when Del Earnhardt Jr. takes the lead, you're not hearing fans anyway. So I thought, for the most part, it looked like a race. It looked like a normal race. Same sounds, same visuals, same action. And I, I thought especially for both Wednesday night's cup race, Thursday night or Thursday afternoon's Xfinity race. If you wanted to take two races to a casual fan who are missing sports because they've been off TV for two months and say, here, come try our sport, come watch motorsports, come watch NASCAR. These two races at Darlington were as close as it gets to kind of the, the perfect show. And listen, you guys know that I can be so critical and so heavy handed on NASCAR sometimes. There is nothing about these two races that we saw on Wednesday and Thursday that you can complain about. Take this to your friends. Put it on YouTube. Take them to someone who wants to watch sports and say this is it because they were two just really good you know, TV shows. 
oh, they're going to try this TV show, what, seven times over 11 days, and actually we got a bonus because of some rainouts and things like that as far as actual TV time for NASCAR. It'll be interesting to see if people are excited about it tonight as they are going to be, say, a week, 10 days from now after they've seen a lot of racing. I mean, they said the Wednesday night race was what the first Wednesday night race in 36 years or something for cup. And I thought it was outstanding. And, and maybe that's going to be something they want to, they're going to look forward to doing more of going forward uh, into the fall, because you don't want to go head to head with the NFL or, you know, if they get rocking again, uh, I, I think Wednesday night is a nice hole for TV. And, uh, you know, obviously it worked. Yeah. The ratings were a little disappointing. They came in on Thursday. It drew a little over 2 million, but it was on FS1, and there was the threat of rain, so it, it wasn't done in a way that was properly um, advertised. I think there's a model here, and I think that if you put it on, you know, on national TV, on Big Fox instead of FS1, you could do some things here. I think that if you can advertise it properly, um, yeah. And listen, I think that the one-day show, no qualifying, no practice. The invert, the invert is what made that race awesome because you would flip the top 20 from Sunday. All of a sudden you had Kevin Harvick with the best car and he brought the same car back on Wednesday. He's 20th in dirty air. That car was ill. That car was unhappy not being. Never got up the hill. (laughs) He got a shot there at the end. He finished third. And and I'll tell you Mm. what, too. Denny Hamlin, who won the race, was on old tires. He he had used them all up. He was not going to win that race, period. Kyle Busch got damaged from the incident with Chase Elliott, Kevin Harvick was sitting in the catbird spot. So, you know, if that race stays green, he wins the race anyway. But that was the drama because you had so many different storylines there. Denny on old tires, Kyle with a beat-up race car, Kevin Harvick going for two in a row, Chase Elliott, you know, telling Kyle he's number one. Just great, great, compelling action. Well, and Matt, you're you're missing one of the biggest uh, takeaways that a lot of people had from the cup race. Uh, Denny Hamlin... And his terrifying mask. <laughs> yeah, That's uh, so, taking the internet by storm a little bit. The best part about the mask, I don't know if you guys saw my tweet about it, but he wants two of them made. He was only able to get one, the one that he wore in Victory Lane. It, his idea was he called a social media guy, and they couldn't get the second mask put together quick enough. But he wanted the mask that he had in Victory Lane, which is him smiling, him happy. But he also wants one with a grumpy face. And he's like, it worked out today. Wednesday because he won the race so he can put on the smiley face but if he gets crashed out he finishes second he wants to get out of the car and put the sad face mask on and that way you know he can be emotive he can be expressive and also maintain physical distancing I get what he was going for but it's just a a little unsettling to me Oh, that's 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 Denny Hamlin for you. He's a he's a quirk, he's a quirky, weird cat. He's got some 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 nuances about him that are just a little bit different. But damn, it's fun. You know, it's, it, it, I tell you what, it's kind of walking a fine line there, Matt, because you can't make fun of what we're going through right now. You know what I mean? I, I just, there are so many people living and dying with these masks. And they get a little too, I was wondering if they were even going to have, you know, logos and, and sponsors on them. Some did, some didn't. Um, you know, NASCAR is notorious for putting a label on anything. Uh, I noticed some teams and, and drivers opted for just a straight white or straight black. Uh, but a lot of them did have their logos and sponsors on it. So it's uh, there's definitely a NASCAR flavor, even with the mass selection out there. I, I would push back just a little bit. I would say, if, if you say, 
you can't make fun of the mask because people are living and dying with them. I would say you have nothing to do but make fun with it. Maybe not make fun <laughs> of it, but make fun with it. I thought the gotcha. whole world had a, a really good laugh at it. I thought it was um, a really charming thing. And it made us kind of have this perspective that this doesn't have to be a dreadful thing. It doesn't have to be this, you know, this, this term of, you know, uh, some people look at it like, like a suppression. It doesn't have to be that. It can be something that we embrace and have fun with. What's your final takeaway from uh, your experience this week? My final takeaway is just more than anything else, good to have some semblance of normal, not only for me, selfishly, being able to go to the racetrack, having post-race press conferences, writing stories, doing podcasts, but also if you're a fan, if you're just someone who misses sports, misses racing, misses cars, um, you have the opportunity to like, like, like we said earlier, nine races in 11 days, be able to feel normal. And to me, to be able to give something to people that just want to feel normal in the weirdest times that any of us will ever experience, that is special, that is good. And I'm glad to be able to at least share what it was, excuse me, what it was like on the front lines with all of you. Well, well said, my friend. Uh, thank you so much, Matt, for, for breaking this down. Wesley, you want to wrap it up for us? Oh, I absolutely do. And again, also, thank you, Matt, for uh, for being there for us. I know uh, I was going to be there, but ticket got lost in the mail. What's not lost in the mail is those five-star reviews. A bunch of you have been doing it. I really appreciate it. Keep slamming those five stars on uh, the Apple Podcast thing. It's going to push us right to the top, number one with a bullet. Uh, thank you so much for listening. See you next time.